Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. After last week, uh, we had a few questions in this whole quiet time arena. And uh, I want to answer them for you today. Then I want to take it one step further. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to answer two questions, and then I want to take it one step further. So the first question that I got right afterwards was, okay, so what what book, what devotional should I get? What book should I get uh, if I'm going to have a quiet time? Uh, Then the second question that was most common uh, throughout the week was, well, where do I start? How do I know where to start? In, in the Bible, and then uh, we'll take it one step further. So I want to dive right in. So what devotional book or tool or thing should I read? And, and I just want to tell you uh, nothing, nothing else. Just open this book. Uh, for some of us, we're incredibly fearful of open the book. Of opening the book. So when I talked to some people about their quiet times, I got all different kinds of answers. Some people listen to sermons. Some people read a devotional or, a, or some other book. Uh, some people like to listen to music for their quiet time. Some people like just to sit in silence. And they're all good and they're all inspiring things and they all have their place. However, it seems like We're doing everything we can to avoid actually opening the book. And I wonder what long-term effects that has had on us in Christianity. Because we don't know our Bibles, so we're easily deceived. All we ever really have are nice thoughts about it. And so we never really go right to the source. We never go right to the fountainhead. And it seems like there's a lot of fear in it. There's some ladies that are doing Bible study right now for the very first time in our ladies' ministry. And uh, I heard that some of them, it was their very first time to do it. And so the night before, they, were, they all sort of shared honestly together that they were almost going to call in sick. I don't think I can make it. And I think that sort of feeling lies with a lot of us. We like having a Bible. We like having it around. We like hearing about it. We even like reading about it. But the idea of actually opening it and getting something out of it is lost. I, I, was, you know, I was thinking about uh, the Ni- Niagara Falls, and I was thinking about Lake Ontario, you know, Niagara Falls comes out of Lake Erie, I guess, and you know, spills over and then goes into Lake Ontario. And if you've ever, I've never been to Lake Ontario, but from what I can see in pictures and what I've heard, that's a serious lake. I mean, that's not like a little lake you've lived on. Okay, this thing is like a, this is a beast. And anyway, um, if you've ever been there or played in it, it's one thing, but if you've, if you've ever gone to its source, and stood by the Niagara Falls. 
and felt its power or seen its beauty or the force of it, the sound of it hits you. It's a completely different experience. And I'd like to suggest that opening your Bibles like Niagara Falls and everything else you read is good. It's like Lake Ontario. Do you remember when Job said, I've heard about you with my ears, but now my eyes see you. That's the difference. You can hear about it. You can read somebody else's thoughts about it. Or you can go right to it. So um, I understand that this book is a little intimidating. I understand that um, it's an ancient book and um, and so three things have sort of surfaced in my mind as to why maybe we'll do anything but read it. One of them is, I think, a, a sort of, and I, I don't, don't, don't be overly offended, a little. It's a spiritual laziness. I, I don't want to think. I don't want to have to think that hard. I'll read a devotional because somebody's going to just lay it out there for me. They're going to pack my lunch for me. But if you open it yourself, you're going to have to think a little bit. And I understand that that's, you know, if you can do it easier, we're all great at finding the easiest way to do anything. But then there's another one, as you're afraid to be wrong. And, um, and I, I want you to get over that fear. Of course, you've got to look at it closely and you've got to learn it more. But the more you do it, the better you have. The reason we have community, by the way is when you get an idea in your head or the scripture says something to you and you share it with somebody, somebody maybe who knows a little bit more, they can redirect you. That's why we need each other, so we can see scripture clearly together. Um, None of us are always right. No one you know is always right. You got to get in there and mess around with it. And the third thing I would say is some of us don't really want to change. You know what Niagara Falls will do to you. You know, you can play in the Lake Ontario and, and have a good day and go home and say we had a great day today. But you go to Lake, you go to Niagara Falls and you, that's just something that you just, you just can't get over. And some people don't want that. And spiritually speaking, we're kind of cautious about how much we really want it to change us. And I think that's a great challenge spiritually for you. Do you really, you know, you, you, you probably wish you could change. You probably know you need to change some things. But do you really want to change them? You remember in John 5, I'm just talking off the top of my head now. Do you remember in John 5 when Jesus is going to heal that fellow with the mat by the pool of Bethesda? You remember the question to him? What do you want? Do you really want to be healed? 
38 years you've been in this condition. You have, you have figured out how to live in this condition. You have become comfortable in this condition. If I give you legs, if I put some strength in those arms, we're not going to be laying around in this pool anymore. You might be carrying someone else to it. But you won't be able to just lay here anymore. So what I want more than anything else in this series, because I believe there's nothing more profound, there's nothing more impacting to the church, the kingdom, and everything that God's doing in his work than when you have an experience with him that changes your heart in a way that no one else could do it. When that happens to you, things, things change. God's purposes advance. So I want you to learn to go directly to the source. I want you to fight through the fears and the difficulties. Um, I want you to have a deep personal interaction with it yourself. And, you know, I, I have this back up here because these aren't just things. I realize to each one of these, they're very costly. If you spend time with God in, in that quiet time, you, you're going to be impressed in a way. Something's going to happen to you. It's not going to stay the same. And one of those things that comes out of it is a kingdom purpose. And a kingdom purpose is going to change your life. You, you, you can't be the same, think the same, act the same anymore. Because now there's something driving you. And you get this feeling, this experience, like you're working with God when you do it. And I want that for you. I just want you to feel like your life is an instrument in his hand somehow. Because nothing's more life-changing. Cha nothing's more exciting. Nothing's more uh, overwhelming than to have that experience, like you're an instrument in his hand. It's the same kind of thing that grows out of community. And all these things are hard to do, they take time to do, and everybody knows relationships are tough. Everybody knows it's just easier to, to avoid community. Which one of us hasn't been hurt by community? How many of you are avoiding community because you go, I've, done, I've tried that, and I've gotten hurt Part of it. In fact, most of the biblical commands about community are what to do when you hurt. When your relationship needs repair. The repair process is part of your growth and community. All of them come out of that. And when it happens, it's just, it's, it's defining moment. And all of these take risks and, and cost you something. I get that. But it's what the spiritual life is about. I thought we would look at um, a psalm together real quick that describes Psalm 119. You've heard it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And every paragraph is sort of peels back the wonder of Scripture. And real quick before we get to the other two things that I want to do today. 
I want you to look at how David describes the word, and I want, to, and I want you to see what he experiences, what he gets out of just one of the paragraphs, out of the many. And look what he says, and look how he describes it, and see if you can resonate with it. See if anything grabs you. He says, oh, how I love your law. I love it. It's what I meditate on all day long. This is what consumes my thoughts, dictates my reality. I love it. And then he says, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. I'm reflecting on that. What does that mean? Now, here's the thought that I had. Is that when I know God's word, I have options on how to handle issues with my enemies that my enemies don't have. He gives me biblical, good, solid, righteous actions to handle my enemies that my enemies don't have at their disposal. Does that make sense? Like love and forgiveness and acceptance. Those are all in my arsenal that are not in my enemy's arsenal. It's forever with me. It's ever with me. I'm definitely not encountering my enemies without it. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I thought about college kids here who are getting handed to them all kinds of ridiculous notions about how the, how the world began and what it's about. Ridiculous notions. And the little kid in the room that believes what God says, smarter than that professor. He's wiser. And then, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Oh, I may be, I'm beyond my years and experience just because I do what you tell me to do. No, I haven't lived that long. No, I've never been there. But because I do what you tell me to do, I have better experience than people older than me have no idea what you want for their, for their lives. Because of your word. Look what it says. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. So all of a sudden there's a transition from this openness to the book. I love the book. And then I read the book and I see the difference it's making in my life. And now I realize by, when I keep your word, it keeps me from evil. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. And I loved the personal nature. When, David, when, when the writer is... is is speaking about the truths he's getting from God's word. He's personalized it in a way, and he goes, I feel like you are teaching me when I read it. And that's why he takes something like rules and makes it personal. So that when I'm living my life, they don't feel like rules I'm following. It feels like I'm living out of a relationship. I don't read it like it's a rule book. And then he says, how sweet are your words to my taste. 
sweeter than honey to my mouth. And is this one of those desserts you've never had? Like, do you get a craving for it? Think of all your cravings. Is this one of them? Something you desire, you can't wait to see what he has to say to you. Because I get understanding. And see, one of, the, one of the things about scripture that I constantly need, I alluded to this last week, was I need somebody constantly pointing out what's real to me. Or I'll get off track. My heart is so fickle that a part of it will wander after anything shiny. And then he comes to where he just realizes, I've gotten to a place where if it's, if it's not one of your ways, if it's not true, if it's not true, if it isn't real, I don't, I don't care for it. Wouldn't you like to have that feeling running through your veins where you go, that's not even appealing. This is so sweet to me. I pass by lesser meals. You're offering something me, bro. I get... Somebody offered me this morning a, a, a hot, warm donut. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I have certain times I cheat. And there are certain things that I love so much more than that donut that I'll wait till I can have that before I just scarf down something that's going to be empty calorie and, and probably make me up here like this. So you can pass by lesser meals once you've, once you've got a greater desire. That's what scripture does. That kind of dynamic. That ought to be your story and your testimony. I love this book. It's so transformed my thinking. It, and, and, I, and, I'm, and you got to get in there like everybody else. No one comes to the scripture and doesn't wrestle with it. Everybody's wrestling with it. And I just want you to feel like you can come stand right there and get it. So I heard this sort of visual I want to give you. Um, I want you to think about you know, remember, you know, the, uh, a seal, remember the hot wax seals they used to seal letters because they didn't have little glue or whatever that was. And she had to, this is, a, this is an image I heard a preacher say, refer to a book, a book that I've now ordered. But here's sort of the image of this spiritual experience I'm sort of describing for you. You've got wax and then you, uh, uh, and then you have uh, fire and then you have uh, the seal itself and so he's describing that an experience with God like the one David is describing is so very personal and transformational and intimate and he says that uh, this um, that your heart is the wax and the Holy Spirit is the fire and God's word or the truth is the seal and so what happens is, is your heart 
this is, I think, a great way to define what David is saying is what, what's happening to David is, is that David, David's heart is melting at the spiritual truth and reality he's getting. It's literally melting. And by that it means it, it, it becomes something you can reshape. See, if you melt it, you can reshape it. And so the Holy Spirit is the fire. When the wax gets close to that Holy Spirit, it melts this heart so that no matter what this heart thought, believed, loved, needed, it, 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 it becomes moldable. And then the truth of God's word then can put its seal on it and sort of change it, literally, transform it. And so when you, when you break that down, you get this picture that was described that if you don't have the heat, if you don't have the heat and you try to bring the truth to a heart that isn't moldable, to wax that isn't, you know, liquefied a little, then what happens is this is, this is too hard. It's too hard of a heart. And when it hears things, it just, it's brittle. And so you can buy... All you can get is maybe a surface impression of the seal. It doesn't go, sink deep and reshape the wax. It just gives a surface impression. It doesn't really change it. And if you press too hard, what happens to the wax? If you press too hard on the, on the wax when it's in the solid form, what happens to it? It breaks. It cracks. But if you've got a heart that's heated up by the Spirit and moldable, then that truth can come and make a lasting impression on it, change the shape of it. But if you have the heat heating up the heart, but you don't have the truth, if the scripture isn't there, then what happens is when the, when the wax gets near the fire, what you get is you just end up with, a, with liquefied wax. You just end up with gobbledygook. And so it's close to the Holy Spirit and it's just getting liquefied, but it's not getting transformed. Do you see? It's not getting a new seal. It's not getting a new shape. It's not getting anything new. And I've told you before, and I want you to see this, nothing's more important than when God speaks to your heart and it changes. When your heart changes, your marriage can go to another place. When your heart changes, kingdom purposes get, get figured out and pulled off. When, you heart, when your heart changes, you can become generous if you're a stingy old curmudgeon, a cheapo. When this heart melts. And so God's trying to, to melt that heart. So real quickly, say, where do you start? There are tons of ways to read the Bible. Most of you who are at least generally familiar with it, you've been a Christian a long time, uh, I'm not really talking to you. You can, you can Google it. We Google everything. I bet you've Googled toenail fungus. Google a Bible approach. You can find it. But for those of you who've never, you're like, I don't know anything about that book. Scared to death. I don't even know where to open it. 
then I would tell you to start in the Gospel of John. Or I would tell you to start in 1 John. Or maybe even Philippians, a little book. That's where I would tell you to begin. So if you're sitting in here today and you go, man, I don't, if I open that book right, I don't know where it's at. I don't know what it's about. I don't know anything. Just read the Gospel of John then. That's the same thing I would say to a person who doesn't know Christ. If you're in here today and I'm not even a Christian. I don't even know where I'd begin. I'm not even sure I, I, I believe it then. I would tell you to read John too. And at your disposal in this room are tons of other ways to read the Bible. You can read it from early to late. You can start reading at the book of James, the first New Testament. Let's say you stay in the New Testament. If, like, if you're not familiar with the Bible at all, don't go to Leviticus. <laughs> and don't go to Revelation. Okay? No one knows what they're about. You want to stay where you can figure things out quicker and get a grasp of things well enough so that you can then start to read the rest of it. That's all you want to do. Don't worry about the whole thing. Just start in the gospel. Start asking questions, seeing things. It'll start to unfold. You can read it from early to late, like start in James and end in Revelation. Just, you just start from early to late. Uh, there's, there's lots of ways to do it, but um, that's what I would do if I was unfamiliar with the scriptures. By the way, a whole new series jumped into my head about how to help you understand the Bible enough to where you're not scared to read it. I don't know when I'm going to do that, but I thought about adding it to this series, but I'm not going to do that. But we got to... Uh, so that's what I would do. That's where you begin. If you're not a believer and you say, I don't know where to start, or maybe you're sort of a new Christian, you've never opened the book yourself, that's what I would do. If I've never opened it and I'm scared to death of opening it, I would read the Gospel of John, probably. And we'll go from there. After you get that done and you say, I still don't, now I don't know what to do, text me, call me, email me. And then meet with Dave. That's what I would tell you to do. All right, this last thing I want to do is a little bit different. It's kind of risky. I'm kind of trying to get to this point here and just see if we can spend, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes doing something else. So the ushers, I don't know if they've been passed out or not. Have we? All right, you have those? Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to now look at a text that we're going to look at together. And this is just you, so you can't cheat. This is like taking a little test. So here's, here's, here's what happened. This is the reason, this is what I've been studying since Wednesday. This paragraph in my quiet time. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. No commentaries, no nothing. When I'm in my quiet time spot, because I got out of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, remember we were in, we, we learned the word theodidactoi. Remember that word? What's it mean? God taught. That's right. So I'm in Philippians now. Got through, took me about three days to, to translate through Philippians 1. And now I'm in Philippians 2. And there's been so much there, I can't get out of it to Philippians 3 yet. So I'll spend a couple days just meditating on the same text. Well, I've, I've got to this text here. And I thought, well, let's just, 
I've meditated on this one for quite a while. And I just want to show you, what I really want to show you is that you can see things yourself. So you have the text in front of you on a sheet. You also have it right here. I'll read it out loud. All I want you to do is answer four questions for me, and I'm going to put them up on the screen for you. But here's, here's what you, if you were reading through Philippians and you came to this text, here's the main gist of what you would have read in Philippians 2 prior to getting here. You ought to have it in your head before you read that paragraph. This is what you would have read had you been reading it. He says this. Have, be of the same mind. He's talking to the church and the community. Be of the same mind. Don't be selfish in your ambition or vain. Be humble. Treat one another as more important than yourself. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ had. And then he tells you what attitude Christ had. Famous text, deep theological. He says, you know, when Jesus was in, in heaven with God, he didn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped. He was happy to set it aside in order to come here. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave, looked like other men, shared human nature, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. And as a result, God has exalted him, given him a name above every name. One day every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So he says, I want you to be a certain way. Oh, by the way, Jesus taught us how to do it. And then you get to this last paragraph. There's one paragraph in between. It's sort of a similar thing. We're only looking at one. In light of what I just read to you, now read this paragraph and tell me and then answer these four questions. So let's read it. I have considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. Remember, this is a letter. He's writing to a church. He's in prison and he's writing the letter to the church. Who's trying to help him? I'm sending Epaphroditus to you. He's my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, your messenger and your minister to me in my need. So evidently you've you sent him, sent him to me. Indeed, he greatly missed all of you and was distressed because he heard that you, or because he heard that you heard that he had been ill. He got ill while he was there. And then he found out that you guys were really worried about him. In fact, he became so ill that he nearly died. But God showed mercy to him, and not to him only, but also to me, so that I would not have grief on top of grief. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, you can rejoice and I can be free from anxiety. So welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Since it was because of the work of Christ that he almost died, he risked his life so that you could make up for your inability to serve me. Now just read it. You're reading it. You're just reading it. All I want you to do is answer these four questions to it. Let's see where they are. Um, first of all, do you get the picture of the text, the feel of the text, of the story? In light of what you've already heard, and then read, do you get the picture of it? And then here's the almost the first thing that happens to me when I'm reading the text. Is there anything that sticks out to me? What 
grabs me this morning? I could read this thing next year and something else will grab me. I'm just asking you. No one's going to tell you and no one can tell you the answer to this question. Only you can do that. Isn't that true? So I don't care if you know the Bible, like the Bible, believe the Bible. I'm asking you what sticks out to you. It could be one word. It could be a line. It could be a something you see, but it's in the text. Then the third thing, what does that one thing say to me? And then is there anything I should do as a result of it? Now, I know many of you are sitting there and you're not even going to do this exercise. I get it. I'm telling you, I want you to do it. I want you to grab that piece of paper. I want you to do it. And then uh, now I'm looking for somebody. This is where it's going to get really, this is the step further. So here's what I want to know. I want the person, first of all, you got to be honest about two things. I need at least one or two people who are willing to say, I really don't know much about this Bible, scared to death to open it. However, I'm not shy and you won't embarrass me. Which one of you? I need, one per- I need a person who's like that right there. I know nothing about this book, but I'm not shy. You can talk to me. Who would it be? Who's a person like that in the room? I got a, I got a gal right there. You know nothing about the Bible. Uh, that's too much. Well, that's too much. Anybody else? You don't know anything about it. You're scared to death of it, but you're not shy. Who would that be? Come on. Everybody's pointing at people. Jimmy Bell, come here, Bubba. I know you're not shy. Okay, so I'm going to put this text back up here. Did something stick out to you? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Here. I want you to take the pen. Be very careful with it. I use this every week. Okay, now. Don't be messing it. around. There you go. Oh, I'm left-handed. I'm holding the, oh, are you left-handed? <laughs> well, that's wrong. That's the first problem. Go sit down. You can't, you can't be helped. All right, go. All right, so where, where did you see it, and, and what is it? Is, the first is thing that stood, that stood out to me was, uh, hold on. Do I need to go to the next paragraph? No. Well, yes, this right here stuck out. And then, uh, yes, go to the next paragraph. All right, let me grab this. Okay, very good. All right, so you connected the two death pieces here. Okay, very good. Uh, Why did that jump out to you, do you think? What do you think? So my thoughts on that were that uh, this, I don't know enough about the text to know how he got sick. Okay, But I was thinking in my head that maybe through serving God, he put himself in danger. That's exactly what's happening in this text. Does everybody get that picture in the text? Paul's trying to say, man, this guy's put his life on the line for you people. Don't be upset if you send him home. If I send him home, because he's only worried about you. He's sick and he's worried about you, okay? Fantastic. And he gave his life for the work of Christ. Right? He's sacrificing. He's put his life on the line, okay? So what does that say to you? Well, I was wondering if I could do the same. Okay. Did any, anybody in here say there was one word 
that stuck out to you in the entire text? Because anybody just raise their hand and say, yeah, there was one word that grabbed me. Yeah, David. Work. Worker? Okay. Anybody else? Mercy stuck out. Others? Risk. Did that word stick out to anybody? To risk? Because the whole text is risk. Isn't it risky to put others first? Isn't that what we read earlier in the text? Isn't that what Jesus did in the text? And so now you're seeing somebody actually do it. All you're reading is that there was a guy by the name of Epaphroditus who actually did it. Get that. He's a real-life example of someone who actually made sacrifices. That's fantastic. Now, let me just tell you, don't you think that's a good quiet time right there? Because now you would have to sit around and go, where, where am I willing or unwilling to do that? The theme is community in this text. It's connection with other people. To give your life for something. For a kingdom purpose. To do what Jesus did. To actually do and live the way Jesus did is the goal of the text. And what we have here is an Epaphroditus who actually did it. Now you could sit around in your quiet time and spend the rest of it going, how do I... How do I risk that? You, can, you could have seen any of this. Thank you, Jimmy. That's, that's all we need to You're do. You're quite right welcome. There. I appreciate it, buddy. There you go. Thank you, buddy. Oh, my wife's going to want this back. Yeah, yeah, you take that. Every single person that's close to me has hurt me. And I have hurt every single person that's close to me. And there is no getting around it. If you're sitting in your quiet time and you come to Jesus and you say, Lord, I hear you saying to me that I ought to give my life for other people. Even if, I'm, if, even if it hurts me. So Lord, I'm asking you, what do you think I should do? Because I feel fearful about connecting with people because of blank. What do you think Jesus is probably going to say back to you? in that quiet time. Oh, well, geez, if they hurt you, run. Run, big daddy. You're sitting there in this quiet time. What do you think Jesus is gonna say to you? Oh, did it hurt? Oh, we can't have pain. No pain for you. Didn't we just read earlier in Philippians 2, he gave up everything for you? How do you sit across from someone who's risked everything and you sit there and put out your petty fears? How do you think they sound to them? Do you think that you can literally walk away and go, hey, listen, uh, I tried that. I don't, know, I don't know what God has to say, but I mean, uh, I tried that and that experience is... Well, is more powerful and more important than his book and his word and what it says to me and what's really real. 
Because I'm going to tell you, when you started following him, here's, here's the big deal when you're reading the text. Here's what he would say to you. If anyone wants to become my follower, what must he do? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Hey, I, I had one, now you have one. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here at the end of the day, Jesus says, and I know that's tough, but it's smarter. It's the only way to actually have a life is to give it away. That's a quiet time. That's a quiet time right there. And now I got to go away and I got to wrestle with God on what he wants me to do about this, this Epaphroditus guy, this weirdo who actually did it. But if it never gets to this place where you go, Lord, I'm gonna take that risk and my, my hurt heart and I'm gonna let you melt it. I'm gonna let you melt that hurt heart and then I'm gonna let you put your seal on it because I've been putting my seal on it. In fact, I've put a wall around it. I'm not letting anybody in there. But you've come along and melted it, and now your seal is coming back on it. And anybody that's hurt me, Lord, I forgive them because you forgave me. I'll accept them even though they're weird. And by the way, they are. <laughs> they're different than me. They, they don't get it yet. Got any people in your life who don't get it yet? All these excuses, Lord, melt my heart. And if your heart isn't melting, then your life's definitely not changing. And I'm here to ask you, what kind of relationship with God do you have if your heart is like unmelted wax and he can never get through to you about certain things? I want to be in this book so I see what he wants me to be. One of the reasons we stay away from it is because I think some of us don't want that heart melted in such a way that it changes us. That's all that happens in a quiet time. What did I see? What did it say to me? Where does my heart, see your heart right now sitting in your seat should be melted by what Christ has done for you and the example of Epaphroditus. No matter how bad the experience, no matter how bad the pain, no matter how, just melted and letting him do what he wants. Because if you got all these lines in your life, you're not willing to go past. Okay, so that's, do you see? That's, that's what I'm talking about. You ought to get that by yourself. You can get that alone. You don't need anybody to tell you that. You didn't need to hear a sermon on it. Get that by yourself. That's the process. That's how it feels. That's what it should be like. Are you with me on that? You see what I'm saying? Okay, uh, how about a funny story and we'll close. You want a funny story? All right, um... So when I was a kid, we used to, this is a story of 
told for many years, but I haven't told it in a long time. And so it means you probably haven't heard it, but I'll tell it quick and then we'll get out of here. Uh, well, maybe I won't. Do we have enough? Are we good? Are we good? All right, so, um, so when I was a kid, we used to play follow the leader. We used to play follow the leader on bikes. And we had a, I had a buddy of mine when I was like 12 or 13 years old who was, you know, you know how you have the, the, the friend who's a man child? You know, he's 13 years old, but he's really 26. You meet him at 26, he hasn't changed one bit. That guy. So at 26, he could be your father, literally. And he had this real old bold cut, and he was the biggest, most powerful person that I grew up being around. As a, um, he just was an animal. He never wore a shirt. He had a silver cap tooth right here, and he had a bold cut haircut like this. And he walked around with that silver cap like this. A beast never wore a shirt, didn't need to, dominated everything. We were like babies compared to him. So when we played follow the leader, whenever he started to lead, it was like, at some point, we're out. I don't know what he's going to do. Plus, on top of it, he was pure nuts. Pure nuts. Okay, mean, didn't care what he did. He was just one of those characters. I mean, right out of a storybook. So we used to play follow the leader, and I remember at Christmas he got this new bike, had a spring in the middle of it. We used to follow around, just, you know, jump ramps, all this other kind of stuff. So we were, and in Florida, uh, so we, we were all following, playing the leader, and everything every, every, all of us little boys did, he did easily. And it got, it got bored, you know. And finally, then he would lead, and then we'd be following him, you know. And, uh, and we all knew at some point, you know, we're bailing. Because we'd be, it'd just be something stupid. So we'd be, in Florida, we have all these canals, and he'd be running. He, we, we were heading down this canal. I remember this neighborhood. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I don't know, like 12 years old or 13 at tops. And I'm following him. And we're all going down this road like this, and along us is a canal. And on the other side of the canal, just really beautiful homes that just sort of sloped up into the yard. And we were running down this thing. And we were coming down here on the other side, just open field. So we're coming down this road, canals here, and he stops. And he goes, okay, boys, I'm jumping the canal. And we all looked at each other and said, I guess this is the spot where we're out. So we stay there. He races goes back about 100 yards, and he starts coming at us. And I mean, this canal is 15 feet across, up into these nice neighborhoods. He comes charging at us like this with that silver cap tooth. I can picture it like it was getting a stupid bowl cut beast like that. With that new spring, and he's coming at us like this, and he turns into the canal, and then he just lifts and I mean, it took him all the way across that canal, and he landed on the other side right here, and he slipped off that seat into that spring. And he landed so hard that it threw him into this yard. He and the bike just fly into the yard. You can hear him screaming through the air. He lands hard, and he pops up, looking away from us into this beautiful yard, and he literally pulls his pants and underwear all the way down to his ankle like this. Because he thinks he has literally hurt himself so bad that he's ripped himself. Now, we're on the other side of the canal getting the back view of this. And this, 
and we're all, you know, he could be dying as far as we know. We just see hair in places none of us have it. We're like, who is this guy? Who is this man? So we're just dumbfounded by the Meanwhile, he's screaming at the top of his lungs, checking himself like this. And I mean to tell you, as sure as I'm sitting here, two Doberman pinchers, one on either side of the house, come running at him. We see it before he sees it. You ever not be able to get it out? You just can't get it out. We're James, James, dogs, dogs. And literally gets to the edge of canal and takes the biggest broad jump you've ever seen. Buck naked and screaming away from those two dogs. That story, that story which is indelibly imprinted in my mind, reminds me of us. That sometimes like there are lines you know, when we're following Jesus we say, I know there's going to be a point in this story where I bail. Because he's crazy. He doesn't know my experiences, my pains, my shortcomings, what I can handle, what I can't handle. And I'm not sure I'm willing to handle things he wants me to handle because I don't think I can handle them. That's not what it's like to follow Jesus. Following him is risky. And so I'm asking you today, is the reason you won't open that book and look at it? Because you're not willing to go where he calls you to go. you bow your heads father we surrender ourselves to you this morning because maybe that is at the bottom of it all our hearts have been beat around they've been broken they've been deceived we feel like we have picked up things along the way that have started to shape our hearts in ways that are not conforming to how you want us to live. And right now we ask your forgiveness for that. And we actually will verbalize to you that we will no longer let those dictate how we do life and how we see life. We want what David had. We want to love your word and see it transform our lives. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.